Hello, business builders. Welcome to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we interview founders of America's fastest growing companies. Our mission is to arm you with the tools and the confidence to scale your own venture. So to that end, every now and then, we gladly welcome a non-founder leader, thinker, or influencer to help you do just that. I'm Drew McClure. My co-host is Jordan Mitchell, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Peyton, thank you so much for taking time to be here on the podcast today. Excited to be here, guys. Yes. Well, listen, there's a a ton of uh, curiosity around your story. uh, You and David, your business partner, are local Atlanta legends around here in the leadership space and the people development and the businesses you've started, especially with Rome and its success around the area. But where I'd actually... I'm curious to start because it feels like too big of a, a point in your, your journey not to at least ask about, uh, was your father uh, building the Days in brand and you getting to be a part of that journey, whether just as a child observing dad working, you know, or overhearing things or maybe more closely aligned than I know. And I'm just curious, as successful as you've been in business, what was that like seeing him, you know, build that really successful hotel brand and chain? Um, I'd just be curious what that was like for you growing up with him and any, any thoughts, any lessons and how that's influenced you. Yeah. So I was always uh, very proud of my father and all that he accomplished at a young age. He was 35 when he started what became an international brand. Wow. And so while I was always very proud, I also struggled with my own personal identity around that because he died at the age of 44 and I was only 17 at the time. And he had founded the company when I was only nine years old. So I just assumed that I would work for him one day and Mm. perhaps have the opportunity to work directly with him. And all of that changed. So while I was proud of him and it was certainly a fun and exciting time to be a child of Cecil Day. It was during that time that I really, quite frankly, began to struggle with why was I here? What is my purpose in life? And, and so for those listeners who have followed a successful father or mother, I think they would agree that there's certain pressure that goes along with that. And for me, it wasn't necessarily my parents, but it was this high standard that had been established. Mm. So has that, has that entered your mind being a successful person as well with, with your family and your kids? Has that, how has that translated to you and how maybe you reflect things to them? Well, number one, I want them to be who they are and not to try to be their dad or their granddad. Mm. And I think everyone is wired differently. And so for me, I have tried never to put any pressure on them to perform, but rather just to be the very best that they can be given their skill set. Wow. So as a 17 year old boy, um, your father passes away. Was it out of nowhere? Was it uh, something that you guys saw coming? I'm not familiar with that part of the story. Yeah. So, he died of cancer and was sick for about two years. So really from the age of 15 to 17, I was the oldest child living at home at the time. And so I had a younger brother in the house. So I think mom kind of looked to me as 
to be that senior statesman, so to speak. So I grew up pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that continue uh, just in in your person? Did that, did that have a lasting resonance that like really not over, maybe overly, but you, you really know how to take responsibility and feel the pressure providing and growing up fast, that kind of thing. Did that kind of mark you? There's no question about it. And, you know, for me, going back to my own children, I just wanted to free them up to be all that they were intended to be and to let them be their own person. And honestly, that's part of my story Mm. is to really encourage your listeners to be the people that they were created to be and not be the people that necessarily someone else is and to be their very best and to embrace that. Wow. Man, it makes me think of um, my, my dad. Uh, his, his father passed away when he was 13, I believe, from cancer as well. Mm. And very similar story. You know, he, he actually wasn't the oldest, but he did, for whatever reason, feel the tap on the shoulder to be the man of the house. He, he actually elected, sent himself to go to military school for two years of high school because he felt like he needed to be, he needed to learn more discipline. Yeah. which is just crazy to be thinking that at like 14, 15 years old and then was married by the time he was 20 at Auburn University, kids by the time he was 21 and just took that same hardworking provide for my kids. But his message to us always was that, like, who are you and what, you know, what, what has God created you to do and the person you're created to be? So it's very similar, very yeah. interesting to see how that shaped you as well. Um, and man, it's been a blessing, a huge blessing for me as his child to yeah. see both the work ethic and the dedicated and the discipline, but also the freedom that he's given me and my sisters to yeah. become who we were meant to be. Um, I have a question around that. We, this is one already an interesting conversation because we haven't even got into business stuff yet, which is great. How do you help somebody understand in that sense who you're created to be, right? That can be somewhat of a confusing journey for someone. Mm-hmm. to understand what does that even mean? How do I discover? Is that about my passions? Is that about my personality bend? Mm-hmm. Like what has that been like for you in conversations, with, whether it's your kids or even maybe employees, that self-discovery journey? What's that, yeah. what's that like for you? I believe we live our best life when we are living at the intersection of purpose, passion, and talent. Mm-hmm. And I think all those three things need to align. And it wasn't until I was 49 years old that I believe that I was truly living at the intersection of purpose, passion, and talent. Mm. I develop, define purpose as why do you exist? I define passion is what brings you to life. And I define talent is what is unique about your DNA that makes you different from other people. Mm. So what, what, what happened at 49? When we, live, when we live at that intersection, that's when we live our best life. Yeah, it's good. What happened at 49 that did that help you discover it or activate it? Did you already know some of those answers, but you hadn't activated it? Or did you discover that later in life, those answers? Interesting. When I was 27, I had graduated from the University of Virginia in business school and was on this personal journey to figure out how I was wired and why I existed. And I didn't exactly find that as an undergrad at Georgia Tech or in business school at University of Virginia. But I came out on this personal journey. Again, I'm going back to my early childhood of struggling with performance and why am I here and so forth. And I went on this journey to find out why I was here. And 
and it truly is a journey that you don't mm-hmm. find it right out of the gate. And, um, <clears throat> it takes time and you have to try different things. And for me, it was not until 22 years later that I really felt like, feel like I, I found that. So it's interesting. One of the thoughts that I have for you is, is going way back towards 17. Cause you talked about the standards that you were feeling, but you were like, it wasn't necessarily from my parents. And I think that that, that veers people off of answering these questions a lot is standards that nobody actually, actually, actually put on them. They kind of just put on themselves. So how, uh, what were some of the, the marks that helped you start doing some of the unlearning? You know, I'm assuming that maybe some of the, why you chose to go to UVA was part of that. You were already beginning to unlearn some things, but it, it's curious to me. A lot of times the, the obstacle in front of somebody's way is one that they put there. And so thinking about those standards that you kind of took on that nobody necessarily put there, but you put on yourself. How did you start to un unwork those as time progressed? Yeah. Well, it's certainly a process. Um, that's part of my nature. It's just the way that I'm wired. I struggle with being a perfectionist and all of those, the downfall. I mean, it certainly can be a strength, but taken to an extreme, it's a weakness. Yeah. And, and so for me, you know, it was this idea that my identity was not in being the son of Cecil Day or Dean Day. It was not in what I do, but rather in um, whose I was and as a person of faith, you know, for me. And I learned over my life just to embrace, you know, the concept of grace and, and, and that certainly is liberating and freeing when you understand what that means. And for me, you know, it just freed me up to be what I believe I was intended to be. Mm. That's good. I'm curious on the, I love that intersection of the passion, the purpose, and the talent. Those, those three, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have, if I were to ask you, which I am asking you, mm-hmm. uh, what is your passion? What is your purpose? What are your talents? Um, mm-hmm. Are those clear in your mind or is it more of a felt thing? Great question. And yeah, for me, you know, my purpose is uh, to honor God in all I do and show that people and their work matter Mm. because I believe that work is broken today. And this is a part of my story. And yet work can be very, very good. And so that's part of the Rome story, which I'm sure we'll get to in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. But for me, I believe that the reason I'm here, I certainly have certain roles as a husband as a father, as a friend, and then from a business standpoint, um, that is life-giving to me. So that is my why, because I think for too long, businesses have taken the position that it's profit over people. Mm. And let's just uh, get them for all they're worth. And it's just the wrong approach. And so for me, 
if you think about where we are kind of as a culture today, there is roughly 70% disengagement in the workforce, meaning that 70% of the people don't really love what they do. Yep. And so part of our mission as a company is to help people find that your work does matter and that you do matter. And so my sense of purpose is centered around taking this message to the next generation, including my own children and those that are coming along beside me. So that's my purpose. Mm. And the second thing, the passion is what is life giving to me is I love having the opportunity to do things like this. This was an easy decision for me because it aligns with my sense of purpose. And mm. so, you know, as you start getting older, you have to say no to a lot of things. And as you start having children and families and so forth, people begin to call you and, you know, you just have to learn to say no to things. And that's hard, sure. right? In order to create margin in your life. And so my passion is obviously my faith, my family. And then it's this idea around how do you, how do you integrate faith and work in a way that helps other people? Mm. And then finally, you know, on the, what I'll call the, the talent or the giftedness, you know, that comes back to how are you uniquely wired? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you gifted? Uh, what types of things are you good at? And then that helps you understand what your weaknesses are as well, right? Because then you can begin to fill those voids in your business or in your personal life with other people that help fill those voids. So it's at the intersection of those three circles that I do believe that we do our best work. Wow. I love that. That is, that is really clear too. It's helpful. So I'm hearing the the purpose side is almost what do you have to give to the world? What, what cause, what, what mission is your fit in serving the world? The yeah. passion is almost how, how have you been wired where the world not necessarily serves you, but that you get joy from mm-hmm. receiving. Yes. And then the third is the talents, the skills. It's like, okay, but yeah. in what way have you been fashioned to, to be a, a tool of that service of that mission? Is that kind of how mm-hmm. you see exactly. that? Yeah. And there's one other element to passion that I would point out. Passion. Yeah. It's what you love doing. And I'm a golfer. I love to play golf, but I'm not truly passionate about it. I'm not going to go pound a thousand balls a day, every day for the rest of my life. And so, yeah, I like golf, but I'm not truly passionate about it. So in my mind, passion is not only what you love, it's what you're willing to suffer for. Mm. Oh, that's good. And there's a big difference. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Tell me, I have a working theory on this, the, the relationship of passion and purpose. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, but I grew up, you know, I'm 35. So mm-hmm. benefits and shortcomings of whatever the most recent message to the world is, right? Everybody's got the thing yeah. they grew up hearing. Right. And ours was a lot around chase your passion, which mm-hmm. if you look back, it makes sense. There were people like you that worked really hard doing stuff they often weren't passionate about so that the next generation could have the luxury of pursuing things they were passionate about, right? Mm-hmm. But my working theory is that there's a very small percentage of the population that has a passion that really aligns to a purpose that would be fulfilling to them, right? Mm -hmm. Where they always knew, I just want to be a doctor, or I just, I want to play sports, and they're actually good enough and talented enough to go do that. For everybody else, it's actually a very confusing and disheartening question, because Mm -hmm. they either aren't sure what they're passionate about, so they're left kind of 
holding the cards of, I don't really know what I'm passionate about, so I don't know what to pursue. Or yeah. the thing that they're passionate about actually isn't that fulfilling to, to turn into a profession, you know, or, or it's misleading in, in numerous ways because it feels like sometimes we start, the people we've worked with, our generation and younger sometimes, mm-hmm. end up chasing preference and calling oh. it purpose, right? So it's all around preference. It's like, I prefer to work alone. I prefer to have flexible, I prefer to have a scooter at work. You know, it's (laughs) like, no, no, those are preferences. Like those make your personality kind of operate a little easier or it's a a nice way of, of approaching your job. But to me, it's been more helpful to ask someone, what's a purpose that you could get behind? And we're not gonna discredit the passion Yes. But the passion needs to be in the passenger seat and the purpose needs to be in the driver's seat because that purpose is going to give you long-term satisfaction. And then we can craft passion around the purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. And most people do the opposite. Like I want to go after my passion and then try to cram purpose into it. And we did that with our first business. We started a wakeboarding company in college (laughs) because we were looking out, you know, a little bit like golf, a little bit like like golf. golf. Yeah. And, and we were like, what do we do? Everyone's saying chase your passion. I was like, well, we're, we've gotten really good at wakeboarding and uh, we love God. So we're going to start a, a, a wakeboarding ministry kind of thing. And it worked. That's the weirdest part. It's like we could have turned that into a growing business. It was growing, but we were trying to horseshoe purpose in there. Like it didn't really fit. Yes. And then you find out you're on a boat for eight hours a day teaching like middle school kids to wakeboard. And you're like, this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. You know, the passion went away quickly. Not willing to suffer for it. <laughs> Not, we weren't willing to suffer for exactly. it. Exactly. And yeah. so I just, I'm curious if you see it similarly, like that, that purpose really is a great driver. It's more of a clear, it still can be confusing and, and might take a while to figure out, but it does seem to be a more reliable thing to follow. 100%. I mean, that truly is the North star in my life. And you got to get that right first. And you need to be grounded in that. And when you have that, it opens up these other possibilities. And to your point, I think passion does follow purpose, but it's mm. complementary to purpose. It's complementary. Yeah. And, but it's certainly not the end all because you can have some really cool, fun ideas that have a season of being meaningful. But to your point, it dies out without a real sense of purpose and cause behind it. Yeah. Mm. Which is really good because uh, Drew back before we were working together, he interviewed me on his personal podcast and my own story, which my story was around personality Trump's passion, which was more on the talent side of things, which was yeah. my story was realizing that I chased passions for almost a decade, wakeboarding being one of them. I fell in a few more traps along the way trying to choose passion and leaving myself pretty disheartened, had a pretty strained marriage, mm-hmm. uh, didn't have great performance at work. And then I finally had a conversation with somebody who could help me find talent, right? Who could help me find like, hey, mm-hmm. for 10 years, you've tried to be like this operations person. Maybe you should move over into these kind of seats mm-hmm. where uh, that collaborative nature that you have, that people side of things can actually be like valued and create value for business. And what I found was, wait, I actually aligned my talents to a role and things started to click. And so I, again, that talent side, that purpose side mm-hmm. to me, that is, it is in that intersection of all three where you really start humming. It's the, it is like the hedgehog. I, I hear it as the hedgehog principle of Jim Collins yeah. thing, yeah. but like for an individual, how do you get this hedgehog for yourself? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, those three things have been able to prove out and passion can't comes quickly behind 
figuring out, yep, these are my talents. This is, yeah. this is really what I can uniquely bring to the world. Yep. This is, this is my purpose. This is what I am willing to suffer for. I love that framework. Certainly going to steal that one, Peyton. Um, and then boom, passion comes behind it. And this is what I can really like almost use that passion to scale and invite other people on board. Yeah. Um, it brings that additional gravity to what we're doing, uh, which I, I really like, like that Man, a lot. Last thing I'll say, and then we'll stop talking about us, but your framework is really, it's actually helping me get clarity looking back some, right? Cause I feel like I'm, uh, I'm in the most sweet spot I've been at mm-hmm. 35 that I've been in my whole life. Yeah. And it was because I went on a serious journey, just like you're talking about, like long, long walks, like a few years of (laughs) conversations, prayer, missteps, mistakes, backwards, forwards. And I remember getting to this exact framework and I was like, all right, passion is misleading me. It's a part of the conversation. I was like, I don't know what my purpose is. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Right. And I had some generic answers like love God, love people or whatever. It was like, that's, that's at least giving me a North, but like more specific because I got to make some business decisions. Right. Yeah. And the question, I think it's the third part you part, it was the, it was the talent. Mm-hmm. I just had this thought come to my mind around what I'd be willing to sacrifice for. I didn't use that exact language, mm-hmm. but I was like, man, I feel like what ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm passionate anytime I master things that matter to other people. Mm-hmm. So if I've mastered a skill or I'm in the process of mastering a skill that ends up being valuable to someone else, I get joy at the end of that exchange, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if it's communication, if it's coaching, yeah. if it's whatever it is, it's like, like there's a joy that comes from like, I got really good at something that you need. Mm-hmm. And you are really, you know, helped by that. And so that started to actually clarify because there's only a certain amount of based on your wiring and based off of your, your skill set. Mm-hmm. There's only a few that you, you could logically bet on to take you places. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, all right, I'm average at this, average at this. And then you find like one or two things you're like, oh, I'm above average at this. Yes. So what would happen if I doubled down on getting really good at that thing and connecting it to other people's pain or their problems or their needs? That started to be more of a clarifier, like go that way. Um, Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And you said something there that's really important. And that is sometimes passion is self-serving. It's, boy, I'd really love to play golf today. Okay, great. And again, there's a season and that's fun. And I love playing golf because it gets my mind off other things. But ultimately, I found that when you focus on purpose, there's more longevity to that. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, what makes purpose very powerful is when you can get your eyes off yourself and get it on other people. Mm. that's when it becomes really, really powerful because oftentimes passion purpose can be self-serving, but I believe that you experience the greatest joy when you do things that are going to benefit other people. Ultimately your purpose ought to be about as leaders of, of companies I believe our purpose should be on setting other people up for success at what they do. Mm. That's our role as leaders. And if we can do that and do that well, yeah, you're off to a really good start. It is interesting. We've had quite a few of these conversations because we're, we started this whole podcast in the midst of uh, COVID happening to our world, but 
what we what we've heard through interviews is multiple people when when everybody experiences the impact that COVID has on their business, almost everyone's interaction ends up they all kind of get to a similar um, decision point, at least through the conversations we've had, that it all ends up being, how do I add value to other people? Mm-hmm. And they're trying to come up with creative ways to add value to other people or unique ways to add value to other people. It, you quickly think about yourself, you know, self-preservation instinct triggers for everyone. Oh, yeah. But for pretty much all the leaders that we've talked to, which we're, I think we're trying, I mean, we're intentionally serving or, or trying to find, you know, top leaders that we, that we've been inspired by. So maybe there's a whole group of leaders that aren't doing this for the most part, they're all making a for others decision mm-hmm. at, at that point for their business and whatever it is, you know, there's some business we've talked to that's like, man, they just, they didn't really have any opportunity to make revenue. They're just, they're just done. And, uh, hopefully things come back to, to normal, but, um, yeah, it is interesting that at that pressure point, when you're really squeezed for your business success, what you find is your only decision is having to be for others. And I do think, you know, we were on a great economic, you know, incline for, for such a long time. It could be easily deceived that you could think about your own gain and what you want from your business, which is, is I think really, really good to ask, what do you want for your business as a business owner so that you don't get, um, dominated by it. And I think, uh, Cindy Filer that you probably know, we, we interviewed her and she's a great example of like telling her business what she wants from it. But what she like the purpose that was like ingrained in the DNA was still a for others thing. Like, oh yeah. She didn't let it take advantage of her, but when it came to the business's purpose, she still had it injecting towards everyone, you know, everyone else, not about themselves, which I think is, is a brilliant, just interesting insight towards where we're all at in our current circumstance. Let me ask you this. Um, so with this, this is actually really going to be great coming with keeping all this in mind as we get into the story of you and David starting Rome uh, Workspace. And I'm just, wh- how did that happen? Like, how did you guys come together, start this? From what I know, was Rome already uh, around for a year or two and then you guys bought it? Is that what it was? And then what, what led to that? Yes, the original founders for Rome were five IBMers. Huh. Wow. That were sent home to work. This was during the time of the Great Recession. Yeah. And big companies were reducing the size of their office footprint to save money, and they began to send people home. So these five guys were sent home to work. And just like the baby I heard earlier in the background of this podcast, <laughs> they had the same problem. Yeah, where you had, babies, you had UPS man ringing the doorbell. Yeah. You had telephone calls that would come in the middle of another conversation you were having and lots of distractions. And so they determined that there had to be a better way. So guess where they went to find a better solution? Mm. The coffee shops. Oh, yeah, yeah. Starbucks. Yep. Starbucks is a tough place to get work done. Tough place to have a meeting. They said there needs to be a better way. So their original idea was a small coffee shop with meeting rooms around it. Anyone could go into the cafe. And so it was a brilliant idea. 
And at the time, it was not making money. It was almost ahead of its time in many respects. This is before WeWork or any of these big companies were even in existence. And so my background, which I came from Marriott, I was a franchise partner for Marriott, and we were developing and operating limited service hotels. I was just trying to bring that experience that I had learned from Marriott, which is, hey, you need to have efficiency in the way you utilize space. And then it's just taking those principles of getting rid of a lot of the wasted space and making it more productive space. And so that was kind of the genesis of it. And then when David Salyers got involved, I mean, things really got exciting. David is a very creative guy. And he learned so much as vice president of marketing for Chick-fil-A for all those years. And so he and I would speak virtually every night at 6, 6.30 on his way home from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> By the time I was ready to sit down and have dinner with my wife. So that always created some tension. But yeah, <laughs> we had to eventually set some boundaries around that, which was fun. But nonetheless, uh, when he got involved and we began to say, you know, what does this need to look like uh, for that future worker? And so we ended up buying out the original five guys and two of those, actually three, no, down to two of those guys, two of those guys are still minority partners. But David and I just uh, felt like this was a very unique opportunity to live out our purpose, which is something that we described earlier in a way that was going to help other people uh, be more productive in how they work. So that was what, by, are we at around 2010 maybe? 2010, so, correct. That's 2010. right. That's oh. right. So then what was the, what were those first few years characterized by? You guys are both now fully engaged, bought out the company. What's that part of, of Rome's story look like in those first few years? It was interesting. Uh, it was in some respects, a little frightening in that when we first walked in, we had orange walls. For those of you who have ever been to Rome, Alpharetta, there were orange walls, uh, a lot of leather chairs and that type of thing. And, and so we brought in a designer to basically completely uh, retrofit the space. And so, you know, it was a lot of white walls. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Like we were painting all the walls white and people were going, man, I really like the orange walls. And we were behind the, behind the counter, you know, our solution at the time was, Hey, we just need more food sales in order to make this successful. We need to sell more coffee as if we were competing with Starbucks. Wow. <laughs> and we had no shot, you know, going down that path. Um, we were on the second floor. It was not a retail location. Yeah. Yeah. We tried. So we were back there cooking breakfast and we were back there making hamburgers and, and just trying to find ways to sell more food. And, you know, over time you just kind of started thinking, man, there's just gotta be a better way of doing this. So we found what was working, which was the memberships. Okay. Mm -hmm. We said the meeting rooms is a pretty interesting differentiator for what you can get at Starbucks. So let's do more of that. And then we started saying, well, what if we could do bigger, larger meeting rooms, and start reaching fortune 500s. So we added that component to the revenue model. And then we said, well, gosh, these rents are getting expensive. What if we were to add an office component with longer term leases for people that could commit to beyond a year. And so we began to cobble 
these different parts of the revenue model together mm. have something that was scalable. And we thought we were crushing it. And we, we had, you know, an amazing run there for about seven or eight years and, and a lot of challenges along the way, as you can imagine. Yeah. Because it truly was a case study in how do you change culture? And it was really cool to see how all that came together. But for us, you know, ultimately, we believed that we had found a model that was bulletproof until COVID hit. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) But here we are. (laughs) Man, there's like, yeah, you don't you don't realize there was actually one bullet out there that no one could see coming. Uh, We talked to so many businesses that way, which in a traditional world, actually were relatively bulletproof, like and all the things that you could and should be planning for were really wise. And I think that's the most heartbreaking part about COVID so far has been whether someone's physical health or their business is getting hit in almost unfair ways. Like, no, you did things right. You know, you were planning right and doing well. And this thing still, still took a shot at you. So before we get there, I do want to go back um, because COVID is what it is and we'll see how everything turns out. Right. Um, but there's still something in the, in a somewhat normal world that you guys have really done well. I mean, we know several people that work at Rome, uh, from the corporate team to managers of, of locations. Uh, we have had dozens of meetings ourselves there uh, at your locations. We've done events in your big spaces. We have a client who, um, who, while we were meeting with him there, he's a custom fabricator. He's like, yeah, I created those pipes and I did, you know, all this stuff. So I was like, what? This is like, if, you, if <laughs> you've ever been in. I was a two-year member. Proud. Jordan's a two-year member. <laughs> um, so I've yeah. always just been impressed from the moment I walked in to the actual design, to the feel, to the quality. And then to, as you, it has a, a Chick-fil-A feel in the sense of like it's next level, next level kind of character from the people that work there, that are interacting with you, their, their hospitality, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so. I'm just curious, like, how did you guys intentionally bring your purpose, your passion and David's, you know, for this intentionality and and maybe what's some of the secrets of the culture you guys have been able to create, the high caliber people, the leaders, the environment, um, anything you could speak to on that front, which would be really helpful for us. Yeah, I'll start with we hire leaders and we give them autonomy to make decisions. Mm. And then we point them to a vision that we're excited about and hopefully they'll be excited about, which is to renew and inspire how the world does business. Mm. And the way that we carry that out is we partner with people like Jordan and yourself to see that their dreams are accomplished. Mm. So that's our story. That's what we're trying to bring. And so we hire leaders, we give them autonomy to make decisions And then as long as they're making decisions that are consistent with our core values, which are energy, inspiration, personalized service, generosity, and innovation, uh, then get after it, right? You know, you Mm. be who you are. You be the person that you were intended to be. You bring your sense of giftedness and passion to that higher purpose. And then we turn, we get out of the way. And our job is to support those folks and to help set them up for success. Mm. 
And so, you know, I'm a big believer in this idea that you give people autonomy and there's a, a very simple formula, which I, I think can kind of bring light to this. It's autonomy divided by responsibility equals one. Hmm. So often people are afraid to give people autonomy because they don't trust people. That's, that's a management fault. That's something yeah. we all struggle with. But the, the other side of that is it's important that they're responsible without autonomy. And there are times where people are going to fall short. And that's oftentimes a training problem. Like I have not done my job in teaching them how to be responsible within that role. Mm. Um, the problem is not that I gave them autonomy or I trusted them. It was that I did not do my part and make them successful. Mm. So, and the other piece of this is sometimes you may have the wrong person and that's okay too, right? You may not have the right person for that role. So part of what we do is we are very, very thorough in how we go about hiring people. It's much easier to hire people than it is to let people go. So we're going to spend a lot of time on the front end hiring people. So we were with uh, about six or seven new hires just yesterday, and it was so funny to talk to these folks because they all said, man, you guys really took us through the gauntlet, you know, it was like four <laughs> months to get a job here. Yeah. And, and that's, I think the wise approach, right? People yes. tend to settle, people settle for fits that may or may not work. Yeah. So part of our secret is, and I'll share this with your listeners is that when you do an interview, you may understand maybe 10% of that person. And there's this other 90% that's like, man, I hope it works out. But there are ways and there are tools out there that you can use to kind of close that gap, right? Yeah. So one of which is obviously things like strength finders, that helps, um, personality testing. Um, we use a service that's from a member called Best Work Data, which is amazing. And we use, uh, obviously, references are great, but everybody puts their best reference on there. And I'm not really sure what that tells you. Um, what you really ought to do is talk to people who had a bad experience with that person. Um, <laughs> it's really tell you a lot more. Um, and then finally, we, we like to date before we get married. And mm. what I mean by that is oftentimes we'll have a person shadow another person and see if it's a good fit for both parties. And, and so it needs to work out for both parties. And, and sometimes it does it, sometimes it doesn't. So we are very, very thorough in our recruiting process and hiring process. And I think that's one of the keys to building a really solid foundation. Oh yeah. I think it was, a uh, Yvonne Chenard, the, um, founder of Patagonia, who was talking about the biggest mistakes he sees in business is people are quick to hire and slow to fire. Yes. And that, that got him in so much trouble that he had to flip the script and be very slow to hire and quick to fire. Yeah. Uh, not yeah. meaning that you don't give second chances, but like sure. you need to as quickly as possible, figure out if this is a fit or not yeah. and be okay with saying, Hey, let me find you a different career. Let's pass you on somewhere else. But then being slow to hire just exactly what you guys are talking about. Let's, let's do our due diligence here. That's because right. we're this is the business we're in. You know, we're in the talent optimization business. So we're working with companies 
from whether it's on the front end, hiring people to the people they already got, making sure that they're engaged, you know, operating at high, high potential fulfillment, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you just recognize, man, this costs you a lot of money if you get this wrong, mm -hmm. right? It makes you a lot of money if you get this right. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't like really, just like you're talking about, we can't rush and be, you know, just oh, hope this works out. Like you said, we had a good interview. Yeah. The guy technically has the right uh, skill sets supposedly from his, his career. Uh, and let's just give it a go. And it's like, man, that, that can really, especially in a COVID kind of situation, right? Where mm -hmm. your people are more valuable now than ever. That's, That's right. across the board. Like as the economy has gotten hit, who you're left with and their ability to do multiple things under pressure and to be innovative and to be reliable and to be working hard from home with babies crying in the background, whatever. It's like, you're yeah. going to find out really quickly whether you hired quality people or not. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's super interesting, man. Yeah, that's once, good. I would add one other piece to this. Sure. That is, you know, this idea again, I'm, I'm, I missed one of our core values a minute ago, but that's generosity. We believe that if you will hire people that love serving other people, it's amazing, you know, what you see happening. And I think that uh, too often, you know, again, I'm going back to what I've seen in corporate cultures and companies that I've looked at. It's that, that self-serving culture that just has a really hard time making it through tough times. And that's one thing I'm really excited about with our company. I and mean, we have a committed team that's committed to working through COVID and all the challenges of COVID. And it's just fascinating to me to see that we've accomplished more in this last four months by being creative and adding value to our memberships than we would have in five years mm -hmm. because we had margin to be creative and mm -hmm. to do things differently. And so we've launched roughly 10 new ideas in the last three months that are really beginning to gain traction. And I'm really excited about that because when we get on the other side of COVID, it's going to make us stronger. Wow. Well, I want to come back to that because I do want to hear if, if you're willing to share any of the, the in-game challenges and moves you guys have made, again, because so many people are listening to this are going to be having to make similar calls, right? Right. Um, but before I get to that, you know, uh, I've been really excited recently to hear that the target audience that we had in mind actually is listening to this podcast, which is CEOs and founders like yourself, maybe a little earlier in the journey, but they're, t they're typically people that really do see the value in their people and are really excited to invest in them. Right. And so if someone's listening right now and they are, you know, maybe it wasn't designed intentionally from the front but they do have a, a value and they see the need to really have an awesome culture or people that are, you know, highly engaged and really just love their job and do great at their job. And they're wondering where to start. As you look at you guys, let's, let's get past the hiring phase. Let's say that's a given that they need to go to work on hiring the right people from the get go, but they want to work with the people they already currently have. What's maybe one or two things that you guys do with team members maybe on an ongoing basis uh, or a focus that you have or a mindset you have that they could start and grab a hold of and say, how do I apply that here with my people? What, yeah. what, what would one or two of those things be? Great, great question. And we use a tool called Culture Amp to determine culture engagement and employee engagement. And so 
I mentioned earlier that most companies employee engagement scores are 25, 20, 25, 30%, something like that of people who were very engaged or somewhat engaged. Mm. 70% are disengaged. So for Rome, I mean, it's, it just blows my mind to think that we had 99% employee engagement at our last culture. And we do this, I believe it's every, every year we do a culture amp survey to figure out where people are, how engaged are they, where are they in the process on a lot of different right. parts of the business, everything from benefits to does my opinion count? Do I feel valued as an employee? Uh, you know, so on and so forth. And so this is a really great way of taking the temperature of your corporate culture to really get a sense of where you are. And it's very affordable too. So that's mm-hmm. been an awesome tool and we will sit down at all levels of the organization and ensure that we know where people are and we know where the deficits are. And we talk about those things, right? And then we try to do things that create We try to find creative solutions that help fill some of those gaps. That's awesome, man. Again, you were speaking right up our alley. This is, this is the stuff we love to do. And people are slowly, slowly waking up to the connection right between employee engagement and the health of the business. Mm-hmm. It, 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 sometimes it was seen as, as separate things and there's still even a little bit of reticence to like, do I, one, do I even know how to collect that data? And then two, do I even know what to do with it once, once I get it right? Yeah. Uh, we were talking to someone yesterday that's just stepped into basically the, the talent optimization role for their company. We're coaching them and she just did her own survey, which was great. And then, but one of the things that Jordan was bringing up that we talked about was like, listen, collecting that data is great. But depending on what you do with it, it might be you're either going to be better off because you did that or actually worse off. And I thought that was interesting um, that if you collect that data and then you don't they don't see you do anything with it, Mm. they're actually going to be more disengaged on the back end. Yes, because it feels like they gave you their data. They gave you their feedback and they don't see any changes. And now they're like, well, who cares? Like I told them I didn't feel heard and nothing has changed or I told them, you know, that kind of thing. And so we were really telling her like, man actually knowing what to do, even if you can't do everything, yes. showing them that you did a few things off of what you heard is going to set you forward, but doing nothing is actually going to set you further back than if, it, if you had never taken the survey in the first place. Yeah. And I think you need to be secure enough as a leader to give people a voice to let you and your team know how they really feel. Yeah. And, there are a lot of leaders that are very insecure that don't really want to know what other people think because it reflects poorly on them, but that is a blind spot. And yeah. you as a leader need to get over that. And you need to say, man, I want to know everything I can about this company and the people and the people that are here. And if they're not engaged, I need to know why as a leader. And don't take that as a personal attack. Just look at it as an, as an opportunity to get better. Yeah, that is good. It's it's interesting. I was just thinking about uh, somebody could fall prey even in this conversation. We're talking about Chick Fil A. We've mentioned even Starbucks and you guys' business in co working spaces. But this conversation really, I mean, it goes into manufacturing really, really easily. And in fact, maybe even more important for for manufacturing spaces. And so, my hope would be everybody would be tuned in. But honestly, a lot of the conversations that that I've had with this is it's interesting that something like 
uh, retention, employee engagement, even watching out for turnover has been escalated to now it is um, the person who's running that manufacturing plant or is, a, is in the C-suite. They're actually talking about these things, which I think is, you know, back to how do we renew the way work is being done. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a beautiful thing, but I think they're also seeing it and going, oh, wait, like people do matter. And I think we had some really good things that happened in the 70s, 80s, 90s, like the way that work was being done. But the the industrial age started to treat people like we were the 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 machines as well, that we could just flip switches on and off and that we could have work and then we could have life as if those were two switches. And to me, this is just a, it's an interesting conversation. Say, hey, your engagement really matters. And yeah. then the data really matters too on the, on the side of you've heard them. And then if you act on just one thing, you'll get an escalation in engagement and it'll stay. But if you hear and you don't do anything, yeah, you're better off just staying blind to the whole thing. <laughs> and I think that's the, that's the beauty of somebody who's been in and around your people as just validation. And I was uh, just in prep talking with Drew about this is I said, man, the one thing that they've been able to do that would be a differentiator in your industry, like com- comparing you to other stores, I would guess, or other business models is the leader who's running that, that location. Um, I've gotten to meet multiple ones because I, I toured around my time in Atlanta. You guys probably have double the amount than the last time I was in Atlanta. Um, but it, it was, it was a leadership thing and they were equipped with autonomy and I've experienced their generosity. Um, and that really did create an incredible culture that all of their team members were engaged in. And I think that to me is, uh, is really good. And then just the fact that like, Hey, it's not just the the senior leader here saying, this is what we're about. And, you know, I, uh, I have a, I have my own story one time of hearing a boss talk about, this is what we're about and going, God, like this is making me not enjoy this man as much, you know, <laughs> so that, that's, that's probably not how I said it in, in the moment, but I was like, this isn't real. Like you're, you're hurting everybody. Hopefully our employees don't hear this. You know, hopefully we just shush, shush. Because it's not, it's not true and it's not authentic. And I think that's the beautiful thing is, hey, we care about it. We care about this data because we really care, not because we know that it's important and we wish it wasn't important. And I think that's probably like the, the 2000s to 2010s is like, ah, I guess we got to track this because it's important. But like people are realizing like it's important and I actually want to create a workplace that people are people that we're human beings before we're human doings. And, yeah. and to me, that's yeah. something that you guys are leaders in, at least in Atlanta, um, leading that force to say, hey, work can be done a little bit differently, but it doesn't have to lack any of the productivity either. Oh, yeah. And I, let me brag on let me brag on you guys for just a second. Mm-hmm. One of your core values is being generosity. Um, I'll, I'll hold the name for now just in case I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> incorrect in this being a, a good use of your generosity, but I'm pretty sure it's what you had in mind. Uh, so one of the uh, managers of a location is, was a friend of mine and knew that I was, you know, getting out of my old career, starting a new career, and I was in startup mode, you know. And on his own, he called me and just said, hey, man, I was just thinking about you and wanted you to know if you ever have an event or two, uh, that you, that you're looking to, to do, I really want to support your business. And so I'd be happy to lend you some space, um, a few times a year for free. And it was unbelievable, you know, literally, uh, it was a few of those like catalytic moments that like I could at the time, my business was so new, I couldn't afford to rent a space or do whatever. There was no margins. And he let me just come in. He's like, tell me when you would come in. 
you know, we'll pick a time where the rooms aren't really busy. And as long as that works, like you can have one. And man, I just walked away thinking like, this place is partnering with me. Yes. In my own business. And of course, from this point on, like I'm always referencing people yeah. to go there and we've definitely and, paid for rent since, you know, we've I mean, paid for like, rent since. it got us, it got us, you know, yeah. we're in. Like if Dang we're it. thinking, of, if we're thinking about doing an event from this point on, we're like, we're paying to go to Rome and we know the different locations and we know the rooms, we know which ones would be great for, for our size. Um, and so just, you know, to you guys, one, your own corporate values, generosity, and then two, to see him as a leader come to me. Like I didn't ask him. He literally reached out to me and is like, I had this in mind. I know you're doing this. And I was like, man, something's going on. That's really great and different there that this is happening right now. So just wanted to, to throw that you, you guys away. It was really amazing. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Jordan. Absolutely. So let's ask this, uh, with, it could be COVID related or uncovid related, but we always ask this question before we jump into the lightning round. I know we're coming to the end of our time together. Um, what has a current challenge looked like for you guys? Like what's a, what's an ongoing current challenge that you guys are facing and how are you going about trying to solve that right now? Yeah. The biggest challenge that we face now is when the government said that you can only have 10 people in a meeting. Mm. You guys that have been in a space and when we were in phase one, it was 10 people max into the space. And that's a significant part of our business, that and catering. And so it's been raised to 50 people since then, but still there's this concern about social distancing and, and getting in public again. And, and so that's obviously a big challenge that we have because the space was initially designed for just that, which was meetings and catering. That's a, a significant part of our revenue model. Um, so what we've had to do is we've had to be creative and we've had to say, all right, let's use this time as an opportunity to add value to the membership. And so there's a whole host of things that have come out of this. We actually do our own podcast as well. Oh, nice. Um, called Make Work Matter. And that's been neat. Um, we also have, uh, for the very first time, our own app, a Rome app, where you can schedule meetings and you can sign up for membership and use it as a resource uh, for anything that would be work-related. And people can manage their accounts with our app. So that's been kind of neat. Um, and we have now begun to pursue corporate memberships with large Fortune 500s that are saying, I can't get into my office right now. Mm. The doors are locked. And I live in a dual income home and I'm locked in my basement and I'm having a hard time getting work done and our family's completely stressed out. So we've launched a new joint Rome Kefi membership. I don't know if you've heard of Kefi, but it was a inspired by uh, Dan Cathy and others. It's a Disney-esque child uh, entertainment education care uh, type concept that's located in Buckhead next to our Rome Linux location, which is right across from Phipps Plaza. So now for $250 a month, you can have access to Rome and 24 hours a month of childcare entertainment, helping kids figure out how they're wired up and a monthly date night away and access to the rooms. And so this is, we've just launched it literally in the last week. 
Wow. We believe that one of the problems that people are experiencing is that a lot of stress in homes right now, right? A lot of tension, a lot of... 100%. So we said, man, if we can provide a place where both spouses could be productive and then to give the children this really cool Chick-fil-A, Disney kind of experience, that's a beautiful thing. So we've just launched that as well. So there are like 10 initiatives like that that we've launched. But we're trying to basically take what we have. And the thing that's nice about our particular business model is... Our space is flexible. We can use that meeting space for a lot of different purposes. One of which was to be generous, you know, like with people like you that may need space. And so we can do that type of thing during this season. Uh, we can we can be a place where Fortune 500s that can't get into their space. And there are a lot of those people that need a place to work and it's not in the home. So we're going to repurpose that space for larger company or medium-sized company, it doesn't matter the size company, but just people that need a temporary office or meeting solution. And we have the flexibility now to do that. So we're basically trying to take a challenging situation using this season as an opportunity to get better and to get creative and to engage a lot of latent talent because we have not let go any, any of our full-time employees at this point. So, wow. you know, we've tried to take that talent and get better during this season. Man, that is, uh, that is awesome. And I would, I would affirm it on two accounts. Yesterday's meeting started with, with Drew celebrating, uh, when we we're kicking off our Monday morning meeting, he was celebrating with the team that, uh, the kids were going back to school and said so that he got to have uh, at least a semblance of like somewhat of a normal day. Um, but then he was sharing how it was not normal at all with the way the kids were going back to school. But then uh, even this morning, we talked about it with with the team, too, and just the the challenges of, hey, how do we how do we um, help equip the parents to um, to navigate teaching and to navigate just being free to be themselves uh, with the weight there? And I love that you guys are responding to that. I think that's an incredible um, yeah. spotted need that I've been to that Buckhead location too, which is a great, it's a great spot um, all in there to, uh, to do that. Have you been to the new Linux location? It's right across from Phipps. That's their newest. Oh no, no, I haven't been to that one. We just opened that up and that's right near within walking distance of Kefi. So you can literally drop your kids off at Kefi and come over and work at Rome 24 hours a month to be productive. And that membership extends to both parents. So yeah, share it. Right. I'm going to be looking, I'm going to be looking into that. (laughs) A hundred percent. So this is part of our purpose is it extends beyond the workplace yeah, and extends to the family and to the community. So we've tried to say what tension points are families feeling or leaders of organizations feeling and how can we, how can we help fill that gap? We had some at risk members during this season that were elderly, even older than I am. If you can imagine that. No. Were in their home and and they couldn't get out of the out of their house because they were at risk. We had members. I'm sorry. We had a team team members that that would literally de- deliver groceries to their house. I mean, it's just, wow. So you know, this is the heart of who we want to be and what we want to be. And yeah, you know, it's been an awesome thing. And you know, I, I'm confident we're going to get on the other side of this. But you know, it's just crazy right now. It is yeah. what it is. But we're trying to get better during this season. 
Man, that is um, only because it's just so fresh in my mind is something that I'm taking note of from this one. But thinking about, oh, I'm coming back to the generosity side of, uh, of things again and thinking about, uh, so I do have about two and a half years of my own Chick-fil-A experience back in the day. But one of the things that I always thought was brilliant was they used to have the BR guest coupons. They've moved digital with everything, but the BR guest coupon was they never gave any discounts. You never got like a 50% off a sandwich. You always got a free sandwich. And I'm going, man, that was, I don't, I wonder if that was like a, was that your idea, David? Um, but like that thought of being so generous and understanding that actually giving it away for free, you'll always receive more back. I think, cause that's our, even our story with the, the room, but even that, like it's, it has to be generous for the sake of generosity. It couldn't, it can't be a bait and switch. Yeah. And I just love it as a business strategy that how, how generosity is even making you go beyond the walls of thinking about other additional families. I mean, I'm thinking all of your, your values right there, the personalized service, I think is where that one really comes in to play of thinking about how do you serve the whole family, not just the worker uh, when they're in your walls, helping them be productive. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's really good. I think there's just some, there's some good things that I think people could pick up from a business strategy standpoint that might seem soft, but could be really helpful for their business. Um, that thing is awesome. Let's uh, let's jump into the lightning round. You ready for the the lightning round? Five questions. I think so. Yeah, that's it. We're, we're about to find out. Um, awesome, Peyton. Here we go. Question number one: If you could ingrain one message into an organization or into your organization, what would it be? People first. Yeah. Yeah. People first. Boom. I love that. Question number two, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and what's the worst? So question number two is actually two questions. <laughs> it's our trick, but best advice, worst advice. The best advice that I've ever heard is that it really came from Truett Cathy. And, you know, he made the comment that businesses don't succeed or fail, people do. And so our job as leaders is to be leaders that other people believe in, creating cultures that other people want to be a part of, and pursue a cause that other people can get excited about. Mm. The worst advice is profits over people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's typically the way the world looks at it, but that is a very uh, oftentimes self-centered uh, approach. And there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with making money. It's not money that is the problem. It's the love of money that is a problem. And so for me, you know, people that pursue money over people, there's just not a fulfilling life there. Mm. Yep. So good. Uh, number three, uh, being completely honest, what's the secret fear that keeps you up at night? It's interesting. Um, I mentioned to you that, you know, I've struggled with performance all of my life and, you know, I like to be the guy that's liked by other people. And so one of the things that honestly keeps me up at night is unresolved conflict really interesting unresolved oh, yeah. conflict right yeah this wears me out you know it keeps me up at night like why do we have to have this why do we have to have this tension 
I don't understand. Why can't people just get along? And why can't we just have closure here? Why can't we have some finality in this decision or in this deal that I'm working on or in this relationship that is strained? Uh, that keeps me up at night. It generally yeah. involves people. It's unresolved conflict. That's good. I think Drew and I probably are like, yeah, we relate to that one. I think. Oh, yeah. One, yeah, that is a secret. We like to keep that one a hidden fear, so we won't let anybody know that. We're cutting that one from the podcast. <laughs> um, number four, uh, what's the dream result that you're driving towards every day? On a global level, it's seeing people excited about their work. And I see a day where we have much higher engagement at work that we do today. And so personally for me, you know, my dream would to be to have a world in a United States of America that people found life at the intersection of those three things we talked about, purpose, passion, and talent. And I think if we can get people living that type of life out, you're going to see people come together again. And once again, we'll be the United States of America. And I see that as just a principle that um, can really truly change the world. You know, if we can help be a part of changing the work force and the way that work is getting done in, in here in Atlanta and hopefully other parts of the world, then I will have felt that we have made a positive contribution to this world. And if we can share stories like we're sharing today to this next mm -hmm. generation of leaders, that work can be fun. It can be meaningful. It can be purposeful. That's a beautiful thing. And yeah. so that's what I dream about. That's what gets me excited. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Question number five, if you could hop in a DeLorean, Go back for five seconds to your past. You're going to shout one thing to yourself from the driver window. When would you go back and what would you say? Oh, my goodness. You need to repeat that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to hop back in. <laughs> yes. We're going to go in the DeLorean, so we're going to go back to the future. We're going to go uh, back to your past. you got five seconds in your past, and you're going to shout uh, one thing to your yourself from the driver window, when would you go back? So what, what time period would you go back to? And what would you say to yourself? If you had to send a message from future self, Peyton sitting in your chair right now, you go back in the past, what would you say? And when? Okay. I would go back to when I'm five years old and I would remind myself that I need to be myself and who I am and who I was intended to be and not try to be like all your buddies and your friends. Mm. Be your own person, be your best person and stop comparing yourself to other people. Rather be who you're intended to be. Find a purpose that is life giving to you and a passion that is life giving to you. And those things come over time. Don't be impatient in the process. It will happen and enjoy the journey, enjoy the ride and do it in a manner that's going to benefit other people. That's what wow. That's where we find our oh. greatest joy. That's where we find our greatest joy. Yeah. Like Man, that. It, sound, it sounds like you would yell to yourself, hey, buddy, be yourself. It'll be okay. Exactly. Right? Well said. That was a question I asked one of our, our creative, like literally an award-winning artist. His name's James Victoria. 
and his passion, his purpose was actually similar in art though, uh, was the question, can I be myself and still be successful? Right. And I asked him that question and he emphatically said, yes, that's like now his, that's now his life, life mission is to help other people be convinced of that as well. Yeah. And I don't think you can, uh, not be yourself. Uh, you have to be yourself in order to be, you know, to, to find true meaning and purpose and success in life. You have to be yeah. your, yourself and be your best self. Yeah. yeah. Man, thank you so much. This has been truly invigorating, inspiring uh, conversation, all the way from your vulnerability around uh, just you growing up, coming full circle back to the encouragement you'd give yourself at five years old. Again, the reason we have asked these kinds of questions is because it truly is something that we can all relate to. We rarely talk about the personal side. We rarely talk about, you know, the psychological tricks we play on ourselves and the pressure we experience and that kind of thing, but it's something we unilaterally experience. Uh, so that's been insightful, but also what you guys have built, what you are building, uh, continuing to innovate through COVID is super inspiring and a gift to us, especially me being an Atlanta resident. Uh, like I said, experiencing the generosity and the ongoing service of Rome has been amazing. So Peyton Day, thank you for being you. Thank you for uh, serving the world in the way that you are and transforming work. And thank you for being on this podcast. Thank yeah, you, Drew and Jordan. It's been an honor to be with you guys and you guys keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. We'll try. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Head to 0to5000.com for exclusive tools to grow your business. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O 5000.com.